0: This message is from Icon, from community, Icon church. community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. It to be grace, community, and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org, at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. How are you doing, Icon Community? It's great to be here with you today. Uh, what I mean by here is uh, I'm not at all souls, but I got permission to shoot the video at my house. So welcome. Welcome to the abode. Uh, I'd give you a tour, but it's probably not the right place or time. It's the right place, not the best time. Um, but I'm really glad to be here with you. Um, I wasn't sure what I was going to share or talk about today, but I've been wrestling with scripture and sort of grieving and processing through uh, a, a friendship. Yeah, so I wanted to share with, about that, but um, hopefully in a way that's edifying and calls us to be more like Christ. But given that, I, I want to give a small disclaimer that if I should misspeak or overshare beyond what is necessary to convey a godly truth about friendship, um, if you could uh, show me some grace And, uh, what is it, what is the phrase, uh, spit out the bones, but take the meat. I don't know. Uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater or spit the baby. Anyway, Anyway, just hold on to the good stuff and let it go. The rest of it. All right. Let me say a prayer and we'll, we'll jump in. God, I just pray that you would be with me and us cause us to draw near to you in ways that even in the smallest and most routine and habitual practices we might be changed, whittled away, eroded under your Spirit's hand, softened and shaped to do your work. Heavenly Father, we submit ourselves to you individually, communally, wholly, Lord, for the love of our neighbor, for the transformation of the city, and for the coming of your kingdom. Hear our prayer, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So I've been listening to a podcast called Invisibilia, where they've been talking about friendship. Uh, they actually have this whole series about it. And um, one episode started with a really fascinating observation. Um, it's, it was discussing this genre of action movies that featured a pair of unlikely and unwilling partners usually a pair of cops so like in 1967 there was uh in the heat of the night uh with Sidney portier in the 70s you had blazing saddles uh not as serious as in the heat of the night in the 80s you had beverly hills cop uh 48 hours lethal weapon in the 90s you had a uh, rush hour again not all the same level of intensity but and then there was training day right um Again, not all not all comedies either. Then um, there's a lot I'm forgetting. There's a number of other films, but you get the point. We've got about sixty years of <laughs> where there's this common thread of this interracial pairing of of reluctant but no nonsense maverick cops who build a cross-cultural friendship by fighting crime together. And if you think about it, the whole genre is kind of an interesting statement about sort of the hope of what the power of these cross-cultural friendships can, the impact that these cross-cultural friendships can have. I mean, I think it was projecting out into the world that if we have diverse friendships, they're the key to making all of us better, that uh, our streets would be safer, our cities um, would, would be places where evil couldn't hide and justice would be served. We've got 60 years of sort of like communicating this mythology and building these narratives where uh, we would believe it. Of course, it's even see the sort of diversity of sort of coming into our, you know, flock of superheroes, right? We've got Black Panther and Shang-Chi, and it's like everybody gets their own superhero now. So the sense that justice is going to be served through diversity and um, it seems to be the message, but it kind of makes me wonder: is it working? <laughs> is, it, it, is this having the impact that we thought it would? I mean, in terms of box office, it's gold. I mean, but in terms of change, you know, transforming the way the world we live in, the way we think about the streets and of police officers, I'm not sure if it's helping. In fact, uh, I might say we're losing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a strange phenomenon, right? I mean, it's the idea and the ideal seem like good things. So, Why isn't it working? What's wrong? Even in our churches, um, last year I I, I came across this article, and here's the thing. It's specifically about multi-ethnic churches led by African-American or Asian-American pastors. And the research goes to show um, that years into this project of planting multi-ethnic communities, even though they start off, the, past, the pastors start off as pioneers, um, they often end up feeling estranged and distant from their own communities, causing them to feel more lonely and alienated. Yeah, I know. It's a coincidence that I'm talking about this with you guys, um, but um, it's kind of crazy, you know, because we believed in this ideal. We believe that, hey, We bring our gifts to the table to make uh, the diversity and the conversations that might be healing and be valuable to the greater community, but we often end up losing friendships and feeling lost in the process. And I think one of the things that bothers me, I don't know if that bothers Daryl or Jen at all, hopefully not. Uh, what bothers me is that it makes me wonder or question if the church at large is getting it at all. I mean, it'd be one thing if we we were wrestling with it and maybe, you know, this is just a factor of me, but the research seems to show that it's kind of a broader phenomenon that uh, this estrangement, this alienation is really something that affects us all consistently. A guy by the name of Drew Hunter wrote a book on the importance of friendship Uh, in the church. And he writes that friendship is the ultimate goal, the ultimate point of the kingdom of God. I mean, salvation, yes. Forgiveness, yes. Grace, yes. But all these things are to serve the purpose that you might be friends of God and of one another. In other words, the ultimate vision of the kingdom of heaven is for us to be a community of friends. And if that's truly the case, um, I just wanted to take some time to explore a deeper theology of friendship, especially at a church like Icon. I mean, because it seems to me, at least my experience at Open Table has been, this is not going to be easy at all. I don't know what your experience has been at Icon, but this is rough out here, you know? So here's a couple of points I wanted to sort of bring out. The, the research, some of the research uh, says that while our country is certainly becoming more diverse in the aggregate, our closest friendships are still with people who look like us, think like us, talk like us, spend money like us, believe like us, vote like us. The truth of the matter is, is that sometimes the diversity, we self-segregate anyway so that we're not actually becoming closer friends. We just are physically closer. We're not in each other's inner circle. Now, even at a church like ours, I mean, there, there, I mean, there's good reasons why we're probably not getting closer. I mean, last five or six years, I mean, I, I have felt sort of a, a hesitancy, a retraction of sorts, a, some reservations, you know, I mean, we we talk about what does it mean to be friends, and I'm like, yeah, I don't even. I'm having trouble just getting to know myself. I gotta. I don't have time to get get to know you and all your weirdness. I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm trying to stay married over here. I, I'm in a cross-cultural marriage. I, I mean, I'm getting like that's got to be like the two master's degree at the same time type of type of thing. I don't. I definitely don't have time to try to figure out or create a mess with somebody else who's not even wearing a ring I gave them. You know, so. And I think in in an individualistic, capitalistic society, in terms of relationships and friendships, there's a a huge chasm between singleness and marriage. And if you throw in kids in a career, I mean, the statistics kind of go bananas. It says that 70% of our friendships don't last more than seven years. The majority of our friendships, 70% don't last more than seven years. So not only do we keep our closest friends looking like us, we relegate them within two presidential terms, right? Seven years, you're out. I mean, that's, and let's be honest, some presidential terms, we cycle them out even faster. I mean, the greatest irony is that uh, the show friends last longer than our real friends. I mean, that's kind of a, it's kind of a kick in the head. So not only are our cross-cultural friendships not in our inner circle, but we don't have that many friendships going the distance to begin with. One last stat I heard was that most people can only count one crucial friend at a time. Not Facebook friend, but like a ride or die, call you anytime, drop by anytime, I'm coming in anytime, what's for dinner kind of friend that type of full transparency, full vulnerability. If you're lucky right now, you have one person that comes to mind that might be your emergency contact. That's not your spouse or your mom. One. So we're we're all in this predicament together, uh, together, but alone. Um, We're all feeling lonely, anxious, angry, depressed, and disillusioned. But in the real life, but in real life and in real church, we love the idea of loving our neighbors and communities. But we need to talk about getting deeper in our friendships. I think we're really good at networking, but networking is not friendship. I think we're really good about being polite and small talk, but being friendly is not about friendship. I'm not actually sure, and, and probably this is where I'm, I've been like, what what is it? To be friends with somebody. So now I got to be careful here, right? Uh, I'm going to try to offer a little bit of alternative cultural experience, not as a biblical example, but just as a different view as a starting point. Okay. So Korean culture is very hierarchical by age. I don't know if you knew this, but of the East Asian countries, at least when we think about sort of stratified culture, uh, Korean might be the most stratified. Like there's layers to sort of the hierarchy, right? Most hierarchical. And so technically, you can only be friends with those who are of your age, actually, the year that you were born. Everyone else, everyone else gets a title. They're put in a relationally in a different category, right? Older brother, older sister, younger brother, younger sister, you know, uncles, aunties, uh, mister, and then, you know, teacher, your title. But they uh, you, grandmother. So everybody's called by a title. And only the people that were born in your same year, you can call by name. So those are your sort of natural sort of friends. So a friend is somebody, at least in Korean culture, at least that sort of base, in, like, it's not intrinsic, but certainly nurtured into this is like your friends call you by name, you know? And what's interesting is not just the name, but our whole language and vocabulary kind of can has subtle shifts and changes different forms. So it's kind of like uh, in Spanish where you have the to form versus the usted form, you know, to and usted mean the same thing, but they just sort of help uh, direct the distance relationally between us. And, you know, maybe maybe even vertically, too. So, usted might be formal. Two is kind of like you could talk to somebody younger and it's like there are two. I've heard there's even a third form in Spanish called vos, V-O-S. And it means somebody in some countries, Vos the vos uh, form is um, more intimate. So, you would talk to your spouse or your lover in vos. Somebody, like, you know, you didn't know or much more casual in two and usted is more formal or polite. So Koreans, very similar. We've got these sort of levels of conversation sort of dictate the, the hierarchy and the distance emotionally. You're, you're communicating that same thing with language. All that to say, um, friendship in other cultures has some dimensions to it, right? Some texture, boundaries, and, and guideposts as to what this relationship means and who they are to me you know, here in America, we, we call everybody friend. We call everybody by their name. There's no distinction. There's t- teachers, grandmothers, older, younger, Every, everybody can be a friend here. And without that formal language or boundary markers, um, no honorifics or titles for anyone, we kind of, kind of eschews, except for like, you know, politicians and doctors and lawyers and that type of thing. The irony is that, uh, you know, we have more designations for gender and sexuality than we do levels of friendship here, which kind of makes sense because here, intimacy connotes sexuality, like attraction and trying to DTR this thing where we define the relationship. So it's, I don't know if it's intentional, but marriages tend to preclude uh, friendships because that's intimacy and so friendship is built in, right? But that puts a lot of pressure on marriages, for, because your spouse is not just your spouse; they're your lover, your best friend, your cohabitant, your co-parent, and you know they're 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 the ones. You're sort of in in this like horrible nonprofit together. They're your coworkers. It also not only is it hard for for spouses; it's also it leaves a huge void for the unmarried, like like their mercenary friends, right? They're only good, you know. Uh, but then when you get into this different season of life, you're, you're, you're in a different season of friends. And I, I think that that friendship is sort of relegated to something less than marriage. And the truth is, the truth is we all need friends and uh, they don't, ne- these relationships don't need to be sort of on a, an escalator of intimacy. You, you can have intimacy as friends. It doesn't need to be sexual and we need to cultivate deeper understandings of friendship um, and, and, I think I think from having a different cultural background, at least it's okay if we need to borrow language from another culture for it. I would think that would be one of the advantages of being part of a multi-ethnic and multicultural church. By and large, that becomes uncomfortable too, right? Because we'd all have to at least have that conversation, right? We all have to think about how friendships are notated and thought of differently. One more cultural note. Uh, Korean culture is also, not only is it hierarchical, it's also more collectivistic. So we sort of hang out together. We're all sort of codependent together. Um, You know, we joke about this at Open Table because um, usually it's the Asians uh, who are like the last to leave um, because we're all kind of making sure that we leave around the same time, you know? We we often talk as we're sort of putting up chairs or sort of like whatever uh, closing down turning off lights. Uh, we kind of talk like, hey, where do you want to eat? Where oh, I don't know. Where do you want to? Eat? I, I could go for whatever. And we this becomes a long process that goes out into the parking lot, and we're talking about it. we're making this decision together collectively. We linger. We just loiter, even if it's if it's a, if it's not uh, illegal. But I've recognized that. Now that I've been outside of the Korean church for a while, like I can say, y'all don't linger. Like you, you don't stick around. Y'all have plans and places to be and, and things to do. You guys go. I get it. But Asians tend to linger and we make the space to wait on each other. Now, these are cultural expectations of friendship. It's it's not your fault that you have places to go and things to do. That's that's not on you. I, I understand, but but sometimes in diverse settings, the reason why our friendships don't grow is because, well, I know your expectations of friendship, but you don't know mine. And, and you always get to, get to be yourself, but I don't really even get a chance to show myself because I'm lingering and sometimes you've already left the room. Uh, Dion Cole, a theologian slash comedian, he's more of a comedian, He jokes about managing your Blackness at work, meaning at work, he can't fully be himself because it's just too Black for work. Now, um, you can ask your other friends what that means, uh, but the same, I think, could be said is that a lot of times we come to church managing our identities, trying to make other people happy, but the real question for us as a church community and And really striving to become better friends is, can you bring your whole self here? And even for minorities to minorities, do we have the patience to hear each other out and linger a little bit? You know, I think I respect and have a lot of admiration for my black brothers and sisters. uh, But Asians who've only been here for a generation or two or three, I know this sounds crazy, but we're still learning to find our voice. And I really look up to my Black brothers and sisters who have no problem. They've had generations of practice being defiantly themselves, whereas my posture has often been, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know what to say. And so part of this is, especially in the church context, especially if we're going to be friends, cross-cultural friends who are bringing a different vision of the world together, is to sort of coax that out and coach that out and encourage one another as part of our friendships. That means there needs to be an economy and an exchange in a friendship. That's not easy in a culture that prioritizes independence, autonomy and freedom and sort of a majority way of doing things. It's like like an operating system to a computer. Well, I actually use a different operating system at home but I can format it to make it fit your operating system. So we'll just do it that way. One of the interesting dimensions of the New Testament, though, is how multicultural the new church was. You know, obviously they started with Jews and Hellenists and Hellenistic Jews, but notice in Acts 2, the fellowship of believers were together. They spent a great deal amount of time together and had everything in common. And part of what is beautiful about the church is that it presents a vision of true community, of rivals and once enemies become friends. And I'm positive that they had the courage to navigate all of this in light of how Jesus brought the disciples together and his radical friendship and community was part of their witness in the world. You know, one of the dangerous things about trying to be a church as a witness in the world is we're usually expecting the sermon or the uh, you know the the worship to care like communicate all of that, but I can't. It's actually all of us together. The 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 relationships and the friendships communicate all of that, not just this presentation on Sunday. So let's look at uh, scripture now. Um, a few aspects of friendship, uh, and let's see how we cultivate this. Let's look at scripture and see what we cultivate at. At icon. So, a great deal of language around friendship is found in the book of Proverbs. And two things that stand out to me that mark friendship, a friendship of faith that is different from a friendship on Facebook, um, starts out here. Friendships are not stratified by year of birth like they are for me in, in Korean culture, but they're stratified by different difficult circumstances. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for a time of adversity. So not all friendships are equal. And this is why I think it's really important to sort of recover that language. Maybe some distinctions where, you know, vos, tu, right? Usted, like the, 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 here the language shifts even in Proverbs, right? Friends do this, but brothers are time uh, so there's a distinction between a friend and a brother. So I want you to see that that, there, that, um, that there, it, it is okay to create boundaries where friends sort of, uh, you start to at least start to create circles of friends where, you know, somebody, we don't, they're not all the same. You know, some friends have been with you, have walked with you through some difficult times. Now, here's another thing. Another aspect of friendship in Proverbs is this chapter 27, verse 6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, true friends don't just say sweet things or settle for the surface of things. In fact, as it says here, they can wound you. I mean, that that puts a wrinkle in things, right? But these wounds can be trusted. They're trustworthy wounds. Now, if you're not careful, you will assume these wounds. We're meant to hurt you and not help you. But the difference between a scalpel and a knife is really just intention, not an effect. They both cut, which as the book of Proverbs does, it, it requires us to have discernment to tell the difference. If my enemy and my friend can wound me, which one is the most trustworthy wound? Which one is trying to help me? Now, this is a really relevant insight from Proverbs, given our current social and political climate. I mean, would you prefer wounds from a friend or kisses from an enemy? Would you prefer constant positivity or a brother for a time of adversity? When it comes to race and gender and class and faith, we need to figure out how to be friends and brothers to one another, really pushing through the wounds to have the real conversations really figuring out how to discern which wounds are trustworthy, because avoiding them is not going to help in the long run. And that's on the flip side too. You and I as friends have to learn how to wound one another well, not just tell them sweet things, not just kiss and tell people sweet things. We have to learn to wound well, scalpel and not knife. But Our main text for today regarding friendship comes from John chapter 15. Hear the word of the Lord. John 15 verse 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. As I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friend. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. The word of the Lord. So this is the definitive passage for Jesus' understanding of friendship. While Proverbs offers us bite-sized wisdom nuggets regarding friendship, Jesus weaves several commands, several things together here. The first is that it is couched in obedience to the Father's commands. Friendships that wrestle with obedience and strive to please God are categorically different from those in which the Father is not a priority. Why? Because God's highest good for our lives is not necessarily maximizing our interests. Does that make sense? God's highest good for our lives is not maximizing our interests, at least not necessarily. How successful you are, how much money you can make, how talented you are, how many houses you can have, even the amount of good you can do, how many people you can feed, the people you can impact, that might be a priority for you, but it's not necessarily a priority to God. God's purposes do not equate to your potential, your life goals, your success, or your dreams. There's lots of people in the Bible that didn't reach or achieve their potential, and God's okay with that. God's completely okay with that. It's very different from our way of thinking and our way of living and even our expectations in the Christian life. The perennial question for you and the friends you will allow to wound you, the friends you choose to put yourself in adversity's way for, is not whether we agree on everything, Not whether they make you feel good or bad, but do they answer to God? Do they seek to be obedient to something beyond their own will and preferences? Do they submit their passions and call you to submit your passions to God? Or are we all trying to serve our own interests and all be friends for hire? I notice that there are individualistic culture means my good is my good, your good is good. I want your good to be your good, and I want you to be for my good. But the real question that godly friends ask is, are you doing what you're doing, not necessarily for your good? Your good would be great, but is it what God's will is? And are you being obedient to that? And am I being obedient to God's will, whether I profit from it, whether I suffer for it, whether I am captive by it, whatever the case may be, is am I doing what God has for me? Whether or not I'm a success it's not the question. Whether or not we agree is not the question. The godly friend will push you to do not just your will, but God's will. You know, friendship is a really strange phenomenon, you know? It starts off with something we'd like to do for our interest, you know, to cure our own loneliness because we like the person and they like us. But ultimately, What Jesus says here is that friendship is a vehicle to put on display the greatest love, to lay down our lives for our friends. Becomes the most tangible measure of agape love, a godly divine love in origin. I mean, who else could command that ultimate sacrifice from us if not God to lay our lives down for our friends? These are high stakes. Icon community, I really want you to understand that the stakes for Icon succeeding and being good friends, it matters. It matters. It matters to the witness and credibility of what Christ has done. I mean, but I, I hesitate because I recognize that that sounds like a lot of pressure. It sounds like a deep obligation, right? I mean, I'm already married, and that was also till death do us part. I'm not really looking for more death, you know. I'm not really looking to sign up for anything. I don't even like to sign up for LA Fitness, and that's like once a month. I'm not even ah, you keep trying to lower the rate on me. I'm good. I don't want any more obligations, you know. But thankfully, Jesus turns and says, "This I've called you friends, for everything that I learned from the Father." I have made known to you. Do you have friends who reveal to you what they have learned from the father? Do you make it known to each other? You know, I have lots of friends who have lots of things going on in their lives. Uh, And fortunately, I, I, I get to know people from various walks of life. I know CEOs, I know doctors, lawyers, leaders, politicians, and I know other pastors but I also know the homeless and undocumented. I know people who are struggling and unemployed. I know teenagers and 20-somethings. I count many friends from many walks, and I'm always so blessed. I think it's super special when they remind me of the goodness and character of God, when they share something that they have learned of the Father. Do you have friends like that in your inner circle that show you the heart of the Father? You know, I, I know, I know. Being a Christian is hard these days. Everyone is deconstructing. We've all had hard talks with family, friends, acquaintances. We've been blocking people. We've been unfollowing people. We've been unfriending people. We've been checking out churches. We've been letting our doubts and our fears take over. We've been playing out scenarios and my deepest suspicions about others. Man, I'm, I'm checking. You know, I'm just checking. It's rough out here. We've been retracting from friendships and shuffling and reshuffling the deck. I get it. Friendship is friendship is hard. I get it. And what I'm saying here in terms of a theology of friendship that we're committed to, willing to lay down our lives for, I think that's just, hey, I, you're busy, right? You're busy. I'm busy, you know? Hey, you've been hurt before. Man, I've, I've been hurt too. You know, I don't have time either. You know, I don't, I don't even share all, all our values. We don't, we don't see eye to eye theologically or stylistically or chromosomally or personality wise. You know? Yeah, I mean, me too. I don't, I don't want to have to be, we can't be friends. We, we literally just can't be friends. But if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, who himself took a group of enemies, and made them friends, and made us friends. I mean, Jesus didn't need friends. If anybody could do without friends, I'm thinking, Jesus, he didn't need friends. He chose to have friends. He chose us to be friends. He commands us to be friends. He even says here, You are my friends if you do what I command. So love each other. Some of the strongest arguments made against Christianity don't come from atheist intellectuals and racist capitalists. They come from the fact that two self-professed followers of Jesus can't be friends. Even Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan could do that. And we have much more at stake. Icon, if it's true that Christ has called us friends, Let us show the world what friendship really looks like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in all our lack, our insufficiency, our inadequacy, our inability to to think and carry long relationships that proclaim and reveal the nature and the heart of the Father, the ways of the Father. Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to be good friends to one another. I want to especially pray for, for ICON, this community that is doing something bold and doing it in a very courageous way, trying to say these cross-cultural, reconciling friendships matter, even though it seems like they're optional, even though they're harder, even though they're more, more work and more listening and more lingering and more navigating different languages and expectations, they're worth it because they reveal your kingdom, O God. So I pray that your people at Icon will be encouraged and refreshed, anointed. May they be, um, just may they find their peace in you, knowing that the spirit resides, that you are rejoicing over them, that you are glad that they are trying to do something that says just by the aesthetics and just by the view of it, that these friendships reveal that the kingdom of God is near. Lord, I pray against the spirit of estrangement and disillusionment and alienation. I pray that this church would grow comfortable in waiting upon one another, listening to one another, and lifting one another up to you. This is our hope and our great mission. Come, Holy Spirit, meet us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm, I, I do this uh, benediction at, at Open Table. Uh I'll do it with you. If you would, uh, it's a call and response benediction. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men and women. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen. Praise God from whom.